What's good, what's good, what's good? You are now tuned in to another episode of Best of Both Worlds. I'm back. I have a very special guest with me. But before I introduce my guests, I want to shout out my Black-owned, Black-created businesses. First, and like always, Neighborhood Scholar. Their Instagram is at NeighborhoodScholar.com. Or, ooh, whoa. Sorry about that. At Neighborhood Scholar. And their website is www.NeighborhoodScholar.com. The next business I want to shout out is Juice On Purpose. Um, juice on purpose. They have all natural juices, um, very healthy juices for those who work out, for those who want to change their lifestyles. Definitely check them out. Their Instagram is juice underscore on underscore purpose. Um, check them out. Shout out Sade. Um, you've been recommended. So hopefully this gives you some buzz and hopefully people check you out. Um, this episode is going to be a very special episode, highly anticipated. I should have did this episode a long time ago, long, long time ago. But, you know, things happen and we get, we're here now. So that's all that matters. The guest I have with me is someone who is not only an inspiration to me, but an inspiration to many black and brown, intelligent young women in America, people who go against the odds and go against the the statistics people who battle trauma early and battle obstacles early in life and still overcome and find a way to do things that are not normally done where they come from the guest i have with me today is a black intelligent scientist did I say woman scientist? <laughs> Kita Brock, how you doing, man? How you doing, man? Go ahead and answer to yourself. Let's let, let, let people know who you are, man. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Thanks for that uh, intro, Isaiah. You made me feel uh, very important. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> but um, I am Kita Brock. Um, like Isaiah said, I'm, I'm a black female uh, scientist. Um, I currently work as uh, a product support scientist for a medical device company. Um, and I have a background in biology and molecular biology. Um, in addition, I also run my own businesses that focus on uh, motivating and inspiring young black and brown, not just women, but um, boys too. But, you know, I'm, I'm a woman, so I, I got to be down with my female. So we, we create programs that are um, designed to get uh, black and brown girls and boys into STEM fields, um, not just get into them, but to actually um, stay in them. So that, that's my, that's who I am. Why did you feel it was important to target black and brown students, or, or black and brown youth, um, to encourage them to be scientists? Why did you think that was important? Well, one thing like about me, so I, I'm, I am actually uh, biracial, so my my um, mom's side of family, they are Sicilian and then my dad's side is black. But, you know, one drop, you're black, right? So when I was growing up, I always um, kind of felt like I was, like, missing something. Like, I always wanted to, I was really interested in science. I wanted to be um, a dentist, but um, I'm the first person to go to college in my family. And so kind of, like, 
dealing with that. And then when I did get to college and I realized that there were a lot of people who looked like me, um, cause I went to a PWI primarily white institution instead of a, where I should have gone like Isaiah to like, a college like A&T. But when you, when you don't know and you go to a PWI, it's very lonely. Um, it can be very discouraging. Um, sometimes you feel like, all right, well, maybe this just isn't the right field for me because there's nobody here who looks like me. So it can be um, lonely. And I think a lot of times when you when you come from, like, my background where education wasn't really valued and, um, you know, I didn't have, like, a lot of high self-esteem, it, it's easy to say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm not good enough for this. Like, let me just forget about it. So when I um, created Systemic, I wanted to target people girls and boys who might be in the same situation. They feel like I felt, but there's no one who looks like them inspiring them. So that's really where it came from. Just wanted to, if I can, you know, help help another young person who may have been going through the same things that I went through, kind of navigate through that and, and feel and know that you can do it. Do you still, what does that sense of loneliness feel like now? Like, do you still have that in, like, if you can explain the best of details, like, what is that feeling like? Yeah, um, so I do still feel that, and it's funny because I think that, um, I guess, like, earlier on in my career, I'm not going to say how old I am, but I, I've been in this game <laughs> for a little while, like, about 15 years. So I think that um, at first I kind of I don't I don't know if I would say that I just kind of suppressed the 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 lonely feeling. I graduated from PWI, so I, at that time I was kind of used to just being around you know a bunch of white people and Asian people, not really um, being around black people who were in the same field. So I think that I kind of just got used to it. But then as I continued on in my career, and especially within the last couple years. Uh, it kind of resurfaced that feeling of loneliness. Um, I think it's because I, I'm maturing and now valuing and recognizing a lot of more things about my culture, about myself. But it's so I work in a in a building. There, it's not a huge building, um, maybe 200 people. But in the building of 200 people, there's one black female scientist, and that's myself. So you start to recognize that like people don't really assume that you're smart or that you're equal. It's almost like you you have to prove yourself more because you look different. And, you know, the stereotypes that exist with black people within white culture, they just automatically assume that you're, you're not supposed to be there. Or if you got there, you're the token or, you know, you knew somebody. And so it can be very lonely in that sense, whereas you know, you're not working around anybody who knows anything about you, um, your people, your culture. They don't always necessarily appreciate um, what you bring to the table. They don't necessarily care about diversity. So um, it could be a little a little frustrating. And I think that especially this year, 2020, with all, you know, the racial injustices that we, we suffered as a people, it became more clear um, to me, just how lonely it is being one of the only black people in the organization because it, it, I realized that I, I just work for them. Like, no one actually 
show that they care about who I am outside of just what I'm bringing to the organization. So those are the things that I kind of experienced um, and, and kind of categorized as being feeling lonely. How many times in life or when did you first like come to that realization that you had to prove yourself? Like, or when you came to the to a sense you felt like you had to prove yourself? Like, when was oh, the first early, time? Early, early on. Um, not necessarily in high school because I went to um, a really good school, um, in city school district, but we were a magnet school, so there was a lot of diversity. Um, a lot of people who, who were black and brown, but, you know, we had white people, we had Asian, Hispanic, we, we had everybody um, in our school. So I think when I was in high school, it was less of a of an issue because, like I said, I, I didn't feel like I was alone in the sense of, um, you know, my identity as a, a black woman. But I quickly um, started to feel that way when I went to, to college. Um, like I said, I went to a PWI RIT, which is an amazing school. Um, I, I don't take anything away from the school, but um, when I when I got there. It's immediately obvious, it's like, okay, you know, like you're in a lecture hall um, and there's 200 people and you stick out like a sore thumb because you're, you're black. And so one particular um, situation I'll always recall is actually um, my freshman year, um, I was taking a class that I absolutely love, um, bioethics. So... <laughs> We, the teacher, we would do our exams and then, you know, you, we look at the statistics overall, how the class did and, you know, across the board, like if we felt like the test was um, fair. And so we, they, they would show like how many students got the highest score, how many students got the lowest score. So in this particular test, we all had our, our results and I actually was the person who had the highest score in the class. Mm. And so when we discussed it because you were given the opportunity. If you're the person who got the highest or the lowest score, you could actually discuss that. This is an ethics class, not, you know, bioethics. So we're talking about ethics, right? So, right. um, it was funny because when, when I, when I revealed that I was the person who got the highest score, you could kind of like see the, the, the reaction in the classroom. Like, what? Like, like surprise, like shock, you know? Right. And, um, in my mind, I'm thinking like, all right, well, if this were Sally or Sue or anybody other than me, nobody would have been shocked. But it was just like so obvious that they were like, what? Like, how did she get like the highest score? You know, it, it just it that was like the first situation I recall in my academic career of feeling like, all right, yeah, I'm gonna have to you know, do more to prove that I'm supposed to be here because clearly at this point I'm smarter than all, all of y'all in this class. And y'all still looking at me like, what? Like, how did she do it? So right. that was one of the, the situations I can recall like right away when I, I mean, I was like 18 when this happened. So. Right. I know dealing, I know being biracial, you have issues with both, you know, sides of the, of the, of the fence rather. So what issues or what problems did you have to deal with early on with your own people being biracial and being intelligent? Well, I think, so my family, it's very interesting. Like I said, half, half is uh, black, half is 
white or Sicilian. And I think, so both of the sides of my family, neither one of the sides um, are educated in general. Like, they, neither one, I guess, is like, I don't know, better than the other. So I think that when you come from that background, not, not, and you're different. So I was all, I was different, right? So like, I wasn't out kind of like playing. It's like I was an introvert uh, because I, I had self-esteem issues as, as a young girl. So like, I never really wanted to be out, um, you know, doing things. I wasn't that person who was an extrovert and was going to be, you know, like playing with other kids. So I always kind of stayed to myself. And when you are like that and you're just like focusing on school, Actually, my family thought I was quote unquote weird. It's so funny, like because I like for instance, I would choose to go to summer school. I didn't need to go to summer school, but I'm like I'm gonna go to summer school to get ahead, not because I need to catch up. Mm-hmm. But like I remember like my grandfather asking like like what is wrong with you? Like are are you okay? Like what do you like? What's the deal basically? Because I wasn't I guess what he expected or what he'd seen from you know, other people in my family. So I think that sometimes when you're you're in that environment where you're when you're different, people kind of make it out to be a negative thing. Mm-hmm. Where obviously it wasn't negative, it was positive. I was focusing on, you know, being educated, but you kinda sometimes sometimes treat it or made to feel like, all right, well what's what's wrong with you? Like why why are you sitting in the room reading that book when you could be out at the party or doing, you know, other things. Right. So I think that sometimes you, you can you can feel that. Have you ever dealt with the issue of black people seeing how and I'm not saying this is like all black people, but you know, some of your peers back when you were younger, did you have to ever have to deal with people being ignorant when they see that you articulate yourself well and they see that you carry yourself and they seeing that you you know, took the extra time to put in the work in school. Did you ever get the your white card? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. All the time. I swear it's so it's so funny. Um yeah, like if you speak a certain way or like I mean I've always kinda tried to make sure that, you know, I can, I can switch it up. Like if I'm hanging with my friends, I can, you know, talk how we are comfortable. But then, you know, if I'm in a, in a, in a situation where I'm in a, a, an interview or a professional environment, like I can also make sure that I'm speaking properly. And so sometimes, yeah, like I actually, it's, I don't even think of it as um, necessarily something that a lot of people in my family, um, our friends say as like a negative thing. It's almost like a joke, like, oh God, here's, Look at Keita, listen to Keita, like, listen, <laughs> you, you sound white. Like, I know you hear that. Like, people say you sound white, which is actually um, not a compliment. That in and of itself, or when people say that you, oh, you're, you're, you're so well-spoken, that, that's not a compliment. That's actually a, uh, um, an insult because it's saying that, you know, if, if you think that I'm speaking white or I, I am well-spoken, that you assume that I shouldn't be. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I've I've um, gotten that before, but I mean I, that stuff doesn't like bother me um, much at all anymore. I mean, maybe when I was younger, but now well, it doesn't bother me. 
what other obstacles did you have to face growing up? Like, what was your environment like young? And, you know, was it always easy? Oh, well, so my upbringing was pretty tough. Um, pretty, pretty tough. I actually was never easy. So I'm, I am a first generation um, college student. And um, I grew up, my mom had me when she was really young. Um, really young, and so I actually um, lived with my Sicilian grandmother, um, and so that was rough. I mean, we we were poor; we didn't have much of anything. And I, I think at some at some point, my my grandmother, I feel like she kind of resented me. See, I'm the first, you know, grandchild, and now she's taking care of me, and I don't think that, that was always what she necessarily want it. It was just something that kind of happened. So, you know, I grew up um, feeling a little, I don't know, like just a little a little out of place. Um, so my mom um, was in the same city, but I didn't live with her. Uh, my dad was in prison um, most of my life. Um, so, you know, you're growing up and you're being raised by someone who's not your, your parent. Um, and it's, it's tough. I think that those things kind of, um, they led to a lot of self-esteem issues that I developed over the years um, as a result. Just kind of a something, you know, missing in your life. And so I struggled with that. I struggled with that a lot. And I actually also struggled with being biracial because I didn't see it as, um, I didn't feel the love from that side, you know, like I... Like, I felt when I went to my, my father's mom's house, like, I didn't feel always, I guess, like, I'm supposed to be a part of this thing. So I remember feeling, like, almost embarrassed. Like, I remember my grandmother taking me to um, school, and I would tell people that she was the babysitter because mm-hmm. I just felt so um, just not not attached to that side of me, and it was just not full of, um, it wasn't really a, a positive thing in my mind. So... I definitely struggled, I guess, with, like, some identity um, issues. I I think that I never really explored who I am as a fully, like, embracing my culture black woman until I was an adult because I was just so confused. Like, all right, well, you know, I'm growing up, a white woman is raising me. My dad's not here. My mom's not here. Like, there's a lot of issues in the home, so... It kind of prevented me from being able to really um, explore who I am now um, when I was when I was younger. So yeah, those, those things and just being the first to do anything is always going to be met with some challenges. Um, you don't really have much in terms of support or, or a person who knows how to support you even. Um, because my, my grandmother, uh, my father's mom, she was very um, supportive, but you know she hadn't done it before. I made a lot of mistakes because I didn't have anybody to kind of like follow in their footsteps. So that's definitely um, a challenge that has to be um, overcome. So yeah, some definitely some things coming up that were not so, not so easy. Mm. Later in life, uh, as an adult, what, what encouraged you to dig deep in looking in your... And to your background, like what 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 caused you to want to 
figure out your identity, basically, like learn more? Um, I think just as I started getting older, I realized like um, things I had missed out on, I would say like, I think that that whole feeling of feeling lonely and, and not really being able to connect with people during a time where you're, you're, those are really like the years you're developing into who you're going to be, like 18, 19, you know, 20, mm -hmm. um, I think that those years, um, I just kind of assimilated basically like I, I'm around you know these people at school this is like the this is my crowd now so wait so, wait wait so it was when you were like so like a young adult then yeah I, yeah I think um more so not a young adult like after um I graduated from undergrad is okay. when I really when I really because when I was undergrad I mean I was just around like all white people and I I, I just wasn't like around um, you know, like when you're at school, you're around your people. So I just kind of was like, right, I'm going to get through the school. I didn't, I didn't really, I have black friends, but like that was my life for four years. I was like really immersed in school and that's really what I did for the whole four years. I didn't do much or anything else. So yeah, it was like after I graduated and realized like, you know, all my friends are talking about their experiences, um, going to, you know, black colleges and the things I'm just like, I never experienced that. Like I never I, I don't have any references to <laughs> talk about when, like, you know, my friends are talking about, yeah, like, getting their hair braided in the dorm room or, like, going to the party. You can do, I didn't do any of that stuff when I was in college. So I'm like, I've missed out on a lot. I've, I've missed out on a lot. So I really just, like, you know, started just listening and trying to figure out, all right, like, based on what I've missed out on, what can I do now to really tap into and learn about and really realize who I, who I am, like, and who I would have been, I guess, if I were like exposed to more, um, you know, like in, in a in a in a college environment with more people who were like me. Right. Let's talk. What what advice would you give any student or any young person from Rochester who? may take the same route as you or may not like what advice would you give to someone young coming out of rochester that's like getting in that phase like let's just say like a junior in high school where they're getting ready they're looking at colleges and getting ready to apply and like what advice would you give to them i would say to don't be afraid to kind of step out of your comfort zone and don't be discouraged like i i would also say like when you're going into college to do a college tour, like go to different colleges. And I'm not saying that everybody should go to uh, a black college or a, a white college. Like, I think that you really need to explore and see what really works best for you. Because I think that if I would have given myself the opportunity to kind of explore other options, um, I might have made a different decision um, than what I did. Because I kind of was just like, all right, I'm going to go here. It's in my hometown. I'm going to like stay. This is what I'm going to do. So I would say keep yourself open to all the options, do your research, and then don't let anybody make you feel like you can't. I don't care if you want to be an astronaut or, or whatever. If, if it's in your, if it's in your first mind, your heart to, to become anything, you can. It's hard coming from a small town like Rochester, um, but you have to know that there's a whole much larger world than what we see 
when we're in our hometown and when you get out and you explore that, you realize that there's so many opportunities um, when you when you kind of just open your eyes to it. So just just stay of course. Don't don't give up. Don't think that you can't. Don't think that you shouldn't. And just make sure you make educated decisions, like explore before you make a, a concrete decision about what you're going to do um, with your life. And if you make a if you make a choice that doesn't work out, you can always change that. That's the thing. Like you can, it's flexible. So you go through on college, you, you transfer, and just be open open to those things. Um, flexibility. Yeah, that's funny. I, I said the same, like kind of the same thing in the, my last podcast, and I was just saying like. You know, Rochesterians, like, if you have a chance to leave, you got a chance to go out and see what's, what's outside of Rochester, take the opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. There's always, there's always going to be, you just got to look for it, you know, like, like, for example, I didn't know too much about HBCUs, but one of my uncles was doing a, a tour, a HBCU tour on the East Coast, and I was just, you know, I wanted to go and fi- and see what, what it was about. Or not the East Coast, and, uh, the, the D.C. area, um, DMV area. And I'm like, well, I don't know much about HBCUs, but it's a college tour. It'd be great for me to see, you know, what's out there and just experience that. And I think that's, you know, what really changed my mindset and changed what I how I saw college and yeah. what I thought about college and what I thought about leaving Rochester. It just it, it changed a lot. I I know for a fact now, when we dropped you off to college, you know, I was just like, all right, like, this is crazy. Because honestly, I had not, I've never really been to an HBCU. So when I, I didn't go on a college tour, like I said, I just went to, just went to, to school. I didn't do all of that. But I know with all the certainty in the world that had I done what you did and gone on a college tour, I would have chosen to go probably to A&T, honestly. Like, I, I, it's just amazing when you go and you see so many people, like, who are just, like I said, embracing our culture and everybody, you know, we, it's your people. So I know that I would have made that choice if, um, if I'd exposed myself. But then that's the thing, like you said, see, you had an uncle who exposed you to that. I didn't really have that. Like, I, I was just like, all right, well, I'm, I'm just going to go to school here. I'm going to stay in Rochester. And there's nothing wrong with staying in Rochester. Just to make that clear, like, RIT was an amazing school. Like, it was an amazing school. And I'm, I'm glad that I, um, if I was going to choose any school there, that I would have chosen that. But I think that my outlook on life and just who I am as a person would have been definitely uh, broadened had I um, explored going to um a black college with more more about, about our people. So, right. yeah. And I didn't mean to say, like, when I said, this is for the listeners, when I said, you know, my uncle was the one leading the tour, I, I you know, I wasn't the exception. The rest of the group were a bunch of kids who they looked, you know, they, they were looking for opportunities to go visit colleges. And it didn't just fall in their lap like it did for me. Me, I, you know, I got lucky. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we know people, but you can... There's a lot of organizations in Rochester that's that's looking at that's looking at help, and there's a lot of great organizations that, you know. They have a lot of members in Rochester, whether it's you know the AKAs, Alphas, the Qs. There's a bunch of people in Rochester that's looking at help and looking to give back. So, 
it's really just reaching out and talking to people, looking for flyers, moving yep. around, being in the right places at the right time too is a big thing too. And you may not always be lucky, but just try. Just try. Yeah, and do your own research. Like a, a lot of it was my fault. Like I didn't do. I was a black scholar, <laughs> so you know the Urban League Black Scholar Program. Like they, the opportunities were there. I just um, didn't take them. You know, you're young and you don't really. You're just being young, mm-hmm. and nobody was telling me like, all right, you should do this. So I just kind of, it was missed opportunity because that program in and of itself. Um, gives you the tools and the resources that you need to go on a, a college tour. Right. Um, that just reminded yeah. me too. That just reminded me every year. And this is for the, this is for the students, for the suburban, for the students that go to schools in uh, the suburbs, there's the city schools. They may already be told this, but even if you're not, just listen every year, there's every school year, there's two to three HBCU events at the Conventional Center, I want to say. It's... Is it the Cross Arena? No, no, no. Not the Blue Cross Arena, but it's it's the... Uh, the Convention Center. The conven- yeah, yeah. The Convention Center downtown. There's every school year, is two to three HBCU events where they bring a bunch of HBCUs to the Conventional Center. And you get a chance to talk to them. Um, some people get scholarships there and get accepted, like, accepted into the school on spot on the spot. A lot of people get invited to tours. It's it's just a it's a great opportunity, and if your school doesn't tell you about it, be on the lookout or uh, look it up on Google. We got iPhones, like we got phones, smartphones now. Like look it up on Google, and you'll see information about it. I'm pretty sure it's gonna be altered because of COVID, but by next year it should be back. So be on the lookout for that because that's a great opportunity to 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 get a college tour and to see and meet you know college representatives and talking. Potentially get scholarships because that's that's a big thing too. Scholarships are huge. Uh, yeah, definitely get those scholarships. But that I was gonna say, like when I was uh, um, a black scholar, it's great. So I did crazy in high school. Like I mean, amazing uh, GPA when I graduated. Do you know I went to college, and the only scholarships I had were the ones that the college just gave me, like because I was a minority student. Basically, I literally did not apply for any scholarships. Can you believe that? Like, I, I should have gone to school for free, honestly. With with uh, my performance in high school, I should have gone to school for free. I should have had a full ride. I should have got scholarships, but I literally applied for no scholarships and went to a, a private college and just racked up tons of debt because I, I didn't educate myself. I mean... I, I didn't. I didn't really um, understand uh, the consequences of not, you know, applying for scholarships. Because when you're 18, in most cases, when that's not something that you're talking about, you're like, whatever. I'm, you can't even imagine being 36 and having student loan debt. It's like that's a lifetime away. So, yeah, you need to get those scholarships, especially if you're a first um, first generation college student. If you um, do super well in school, even if you don't. Apply for scholarships because that was a huge mistake that I made, um, and I'm paying for it literally and figuratively <laughs> as an, as a, as an adult. So I got a question that just popped up. Yeah. Did you have? And this is a question about like you know going back to when you were younger. Did you have someone? 
that help helped or that like influenced you at all? Like I spoke to a lot of other guests and you know asked about their backgrounds and like in every in every interview there was someone who told them that it was possible or who poured into them or mentored them or just influenced them. There was always like at least one person who was just like that seed of positivity. Did you have that growing up? Oh yeah. So like my my grandmother um, on my my dad's side, um, she was always like the 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 person who poured into um, me and my sister. Um, so like if nothing else, we always knew that like all right. We're going to go to grandma's house. Like, we're going to feel good. Like, it's going to be, you know, a, a good time. So my grandmother who had always, I lived with my grandmother when I was in um, high school. Um, my dad's mom, I moved with her when I was in high school. And she always encouraged me and, you know, motivated me in the way that she could. Because, like I said, you you know, my grandmother hadn't gone to college at that at time. So she always supported me how she could, how she, how she knew how to, you know, and she did go, she did get her, um, associate's degree later on, but, um, she was always motivating. And then I had actually, she started out as my uncle's girlfriend. So I used to call her aunt, mm-hmm. um, call her my aunt. So, um, Ebony, um, Ebony Scott. Yeah. Um, she was a part of my life since we I was young. Um, when I would go to my grandma's house, like, you know, she and my uncle, they were together. Um, so I always saw her, kind of looked up to her. She was beautiful, just really well-mannered, sweet, giving, caring. And um, she was in college. She went to college. So actually, the reason why I went to my first um, semester in school, I went to Brockport. Um, and it was literally because Ebony um, and my uncle went to Brockport. That's how inspiring she was. I ended up transferring to RIT, but um, yeah, she she is who really like introduced me to um, like my spiritual side. Like I um, developed like a relationship with God um, as a result of her. She took me to church. Um, she helped me get like my first job. Any anything I needed, like a, a ride or um, you know, advice or just support in general. She was always, always, always there. I always, always credit her um, with everything about who I am because without her, I don't know, like, what I would have done. I think that, obviously, she and my uncle didn't, um, you know, make it as a couple, but I think that God literally placed her in my uncle's life to be a part of my life because um, the inspiration that she provided for me is, I mean, I, I can never repay her for mm. what she what she did for me. Not even really trying. She was just being herself, but she was, like, heaven sent for me. So, yeah, thank God for Ebony. I actually had that in my yearbook, my high school yearbook. Thank God for Ebony. <laughs> She's amazing. And that's, that's funny you say that, like, she was a college student. So for those younger listeners, it's never too early to help the next person. I think we should recreate the idea of just how we maneuver in life. Like, I don't, we don't really help one another. And it's maybe it's a Northern thing because down South it's a little different, but it's like every man for himself. And it's just real, just like, there's a selfish energy, like Mm. being in high school 
you could pour into someone that's a freshman or a middle schooler. It's 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 not it doesn't require too too much. It's really just all right. I learned this and this is something I did. Here you go. So just for all of us, you know, black people in general, especially in the north. Let's take this. All of these interviews that I've had where people said it was one person that, you know, didn't have to do it, but they decided to do it. They were just being themselves. And they're like, let's let's take that and let's replicate it. Over and over and over and over and over again, because in order for us to progress and, and to keep creating change in the right direction, we have to work together and we have to do more as a unit. Um, Kita, I don't have any more questions for you. Is there anything you wanted to ask me before we wrap it up? No, no. I would say uh, thank you for inviting me because, you know, I don't, I really don't like <laughs> interviews with public speakers and stuff, but this is cool. I I enjoyed um, the experience and questions. I think what you're doing is really amazing. Um, you asked a lot of thought-provoking questions, and I'm happy to see you, you know, inspiring youth. Um, you, you're, you're doing what you're, what you're asking others to do. You're, you're you're not just talking, so I, I appreciate that. Um, and yeah, that's it. No more questions. Thank you. Thank you for being a guest. Thank you for allowing me to, you know, feature you on this episode. And um, I think it was really good. I appreciate it. Yep. Appreciate you. <laughs> All right. All right, love you. Bye. All right, that's another episode of Best of Both Worlds. If you like what you heard, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Follow me on Instagram. My personal is ibrock88. The podcast Instagram is at Best of Both Worlds. Spelled just like the title. Continue to spread the word. Continue to show love, and I'm out.